Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on Fubar Radio. Hello, everybody. It's Ali Milani here for another edition of Politics Uncensored here on Fubar Radio. Uh, we have a big show uh, with a lot of uh, really interesting guests, but as will not have escaped anyone's attention uh, or the news broadcast rounds. It's conference season and all the political parties are going off in, in various cities and taking over various cities uh, as we have what is likely to be the last co party conference season before the general election. Uh, we had the Liberals uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but no one seems to care about them too much. Uh, we had the party of government. The Conservative Party uh, is going on this week. They were up in Manchester this week, and uh, Rishi Sunak gave his keynote address as Prime Minister yesterday. Uh, and we have the Labour Party's conference, which I will be at next week, starting um, on Sunday and rolling through up until Wednesday. Now, party conference season is also the season in which politicians and um, their parties begin to announce the vision they have for the country and shape what the next manifesto would look like, including lots of policy announcement. Rishi Sunak has made uh, news rounds with his speech as he has decided to scrap the rest of the high-speed two railway infrastructure plan uh, moving forward. So HS2 he has decided to scrap and that is going to be the northern leg of hs2 that is that is going to be the main thrust of our show today we have william barter a hs2 expert who we spoke to earlier talking to us about what exactly has happened with hs2 um kind of going through all of the different headlines and explaining in in layman's term what the scrapping of the northern leg could mean uh, how much has been spent and so on. Uh, that will be William Barter, HS2 expert, on later. We have Ryan Swift, a researcher at the Institute for Public Policy Research North, who will be joining us to talk about a little bit about what it means in reality. But before we get to trains, before we get to rail, before we get to Rishi and the plans that he has announced as it pertains to HS2, we have the week unwrapped. Every week we bring a very special guest onto the show to talk about the headlines, the political news, the trends happening around the country. And we, this week, we have Zara Khan, chair of the British Youth Council, joining us to talk about the news. Zara, can you hear me okay? Yes, Ali, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, good. Are you keeping up with party conference season? Rishi and Suella. And <laughs> yes, it's all very interesting at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, the entire clown car is out this week. Uh, and we've heard them announce a number of things, including the UK will seek to rent prison spaces from foreign countries to combat the shortage of domestic jail places under plans announced at the Conservative Party conference. The Tories, the Tories said that they are, have already begun exploratory discussions with po possible partners in Europe with plans that would be introduced when parliamentary term, time permits. So apparently our prisons are full and they're going to look at moving prisoners to foreign countries. This They, they just want to just kick everybody out of the country at this point, no? I think it's it's really a short term solution, it seems at the moment, um, you know, to kind of tackle that issue of overcrowding. Um, should we be making more space for prisoners that the taxpayers are paying for? Um, you know, should we be thinking more longer term solutions um, to kind of tackle the reasons why we have so many people in our justice system and our prisons and rehabilitate appropriately back into society where possible? Um, I was doing a, you know, having a look around um, when I was prepping for this uh, for this conversation and Finland, you know, managed to reduce their prison population by about two thirds, I think, a few years ago. 
um, and they used a variety of kind of, you know, uh, techniques to do that. So academic expertise, um, getting political parties to agree on kind of the way forward, um, getting the media to also get on board in terms of not sensationalizing um, uh, criminals and criminal behavior. Um, and kind of broader crime control uh, strategies as well. So I'm just thinking whether we should be talking about longer term solutions about how we actually reduce our prison population rather than, you know, trying to make space for more people. Um, we do also have policies at the BYC against um, police brutality and kind of excessive uh, incarceration rates among uh, young black men uh, as part of our manifesto. So something that, mm. you know, young people really quite care about as well. Spoke about the BYC there. Tell uh, That's the British Youth Council. Tell our listeners a little bit about the work you guys do. Yeah, of course. So the British Youth Council is the National Youth Council of the UK. Um, so we have about uh, 170, 180 member organisations that we work with across the country. Um, and they can range from, uh, you know, big national organisations like Girl Guiding and Scouts to the really kind of local uh, youth councils that are led by our local authorities and doing work kind of on the ground at a grassroots level. So it's, we're really about kind of getting young people in the room with decision makers and making sure that youth issues are at the forefront of decision makers' minds. And so we, we've spoken about um, the the need for offshore prison spaces, according to the Conservatives. Um, it's not just prisoners that they're concerned about uh, as it pertains to people abroad. Swella Braverman has warned a hurricane of mass migration and attacked the luxury beliefs of liberal-leaning people in a populist speech aimed at cementing her position as a standard-bearer for the conservative right. In a claim that will anger lawyers, judges, and some within her own party, the Home Secretary told delegates at the Tory party conference that the Human Rights Act should be renamed the Criminal Rights Act. She argued that Britain would go properly woke under a Labour government with people chased out of their jobs for saying that a man can't be a woman and scolded for rejecting that they are beneficiaries of institutional racism. So Cruella has, I mean, sorry, Suella has warned of a hurricane of mass immigration. This is just wildly incendiary language and she is clearly setting her stall as the champion of the far right, surely. I think, you know, people don't decide on a whim that they're going to move to the UK or they're going to leave everything that they know in their home country to move to a completely different country where they don't speak the language and they don't kind of know, you know, the rules and regulations of that of that country. Um, and a lot of people that do come here and do leave their countries of origin, you know, are fleeing persecution, they're fleeing violence, uh, they're fleeing political unrest. Um, and some of them, unfortunately, do die before they even get to British shores. Um, so I think, you know, the government probably needs to look at a practical approach that balances, okay, mm. how many, you know, uh, how many people can we look at actually taking into the country and supporting? But, but how problematic is, well. listen, one of the things I want to talk about is how the use of language. Uh, we've yeah. seen a massive rise when politicians open their mouth and, and, and speak incendiary language in hate crime on the streets, attacks, violent and nonviolent, uh, race-based attacks um, on people on the streets. So the things that they say have an impact. Use of words like a hurricane of mass migration, what kind of, how problematic is that? Yeah, I think, I think you know, decision makers and leaders do need to be mindful of the language that they're using, um, because like you said, it can lead to, you know, that rise in hate crime and it can lead to actually people thinking that it's okay to use that type of language that's quite inflammatory. 
um, but we need to make sure that obviously we're we're kind of supporting the people that are coming into this country and making sure we've got an inclusive society because there is already a lot of uh, you know discrimination uh, in the country for you know various different communities and actually we should be leading from the front and we should be leading from the top in terms of the language that we're using in in media especially at you know conferences and, and things that a lot of people are actually going to see um, and I don't think that really helps um, what we're trying to do in terms of you know moving towards a more inclusive society. Yeah, what I think is interesting is uh, Rishi did an interview uh, after her speech um, and he refused to overtly support the sort of language that she uses. And I think that's interesting. One of the reports that we're getting out of Conservative Party conferences, there's, there's a real fracture between the sort of hard right uh, of the party, which includes people like Suella and Jacob Rees-Mogg and... Um, uh, who was that idiot that that was going to become a lord and she's from she says uh, i've forgotten her name already that's how relevant she is but that's sort of hard right of the party um and the more one nation tories the camerons of this world the osborns of the world um who are actually quite right-wing economically but um were a little bit more socially uh centrist if you will uh how concerned should we be that let's you know it's perfectly possible that labor win the next government uh, and a Conservative Party in opposition with the likes of Suella Braverman could get real nasty. I think that language is is so important. Uh, and I think we've seen it previously where it's become quite inflammatory and it's had repercussions. Um, and I think we need to make sure that we're being really mindful of that. I'm not sure that everybody thinks before they speak. Uh, we're very much in a kind of cancel culture you know, um, people are thinking about freedom of speech and actually how much do we have freedom of speech and, you know, what can we say and what can we not say? But actually there is probably clear lines of, you know, there are some things that you probably shouldn't say, uh, you know, in the wider media mm. um, or even just even in the comfort of your own home, uh, to be honest, mm. because if we're... Nadine Doris, to... that's the that's the one. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to just shout Nadine Doris at you in the middle of your speech, but I remembered who it was. Um, so, uh, and obviously, Suella has also argued that Britain would go properly woke uh, under a Labour government. I don't even know what she means by that anymore. I think the word the word woke is just thrown around quite a lot, um, and I'm not sure people, and I'm not sure people understand what it means, and I'm not sure people actually get behind the point of yeah. why people are quote unquote woke. I, I guess people like me and you, just anyone under the age of 175, Suella <laughs> would call. Well, two more things, uh, Zara, while we've got you. Uh, Pope Francis has warned that the world is collapsing due to climate change and may be a, nearing a breaking point. The Pope criticised global decision-making bodies for being ineffective, as well as calling out climate deniers. His strongly worded intervention has been published in a major new update to his landmark 2015 paper on the environment. He described some damage from climate change as already irreversible. The Pope criticized those who deny, conceal, or gloss over, or relativize the issue, saying it was no longer possible to deny the human origins of climate change. Now, you represent the British Youth Council and climate change uh, in, in every um, date, piece of data done, every polling done, seems to be at the top of young people's agenda. We've now had the Absolutely. Pope intervene on the issue. How, how sad is it that the Pope is having to intervene because governments aren't? Yeah, I think it is quite sad. And obviously the Pope is a, is a leader in his own right as well. Um, and for him having to kind of come out and say, you know, look, I don't run a government, I don't run a country, but actually we need, you know, countries and governments to get involved and actually be quite um, specific about what we're going to do to tackle climate change. And as you said, young people do care deeply about the issue. We've got a whole section in our manifesto actually about um, climate change policies and how we support the planet and fossil free energy, education, plastic pollution. 
So it is a really important issue for young people. And the people, the young people that we work with are the, going to be the young people that are the leaders of the future and actually are going to in, be inheriting the, the earth. They are the next generation. And actually, we need to make sure that the earth is going to be here in a mm -hmm. good kind of position um, and a, a sustainable position that young people of the future don't have to worry about whether or not, you know, animals are going to go extinct or whether carbon emissions are going to be completely through the roof that it becomes irreversible. Um, so I think there's really a conversation that needs to happen and specific actions around, you know, companies who are the, you know, the kind of causing the most pollution uh, and carbon emissions, uh, and they need to be held accountable for their part in climate change. Um, and there needs to be policy change that we yeah. stick to uh, as, a, as a country and as countries that are part of uh, you know like the big g7 countries and, and other uh, countries that need to kind of have that policy change around protecting the climate and our planet and i think there needs to be a balance as well about you know holding corporations accountable um and kind of holding individuals accountable i feel like there's a lot of onus on individual responsibility in terms of climate change but actually you know we need to make sure that people the organizations that are polluting the planet the most are taking responsibility for their hand in that pollution how making sure they've got specific actions yeah to tackle that as so well. how angry obviously you're you you deal with a lot of young people uh what, what's the temperature like in terms of um the anger if any exists around the the lack of commitment to climate change as a central issue for the next election uh we've already seen rishi sunak kind of row back on on climate change commitments i don't think keir starmer has really placed it at the forefront i mean we know we did have a major policy announcement around uh billions of pounds of investment into renewables um that seems to have kind of been a bit more wobbly in recent months um but i imagine there's a lot of anger around this issue from young people i think young people want to see real commitment uh and i think they want to see people putting their money where their mouth is and if they're going to say that they're going to do something that they should do it um, and I think the frustration for young people probably comes when, you know, we have um, a decision maker saying that they are going to do X, Y, and Z around climate change, and then they backtrack or it doesn't happen or the target year to kind of achieve that um, goal is moved and it keeps mm -hmm. being moved. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the frustration probably comes from is that, you know, young people probably don't feel that we're making enough significant change at a significant rate to make sure that we're not causing irreversible damage to the planet. Okay, if, if Rishi Sunak was listening here today and Keir Starmer, let's say they were both sat in the studio listening to you today, what would your urge for them be um, as, a, as a leader amongst young people on the issue of climate change, which is an existential issue for us all? I think I would say that you need to listen to young people when it comes to climate change. Like I said, they're going to be the ones that are going to be inheriting uh, the earth, the country, the next generation are going to be kind of leading the way in terms of climate change. Let's not make the job any more difficult for them than it already is let's stick to the goals that have actually been implemented uh, originally and have been promised and let's make sure that we're actually including young people in the conversations around climate change and consulting them on the issues that matter to them in terms of the things that they want to see happen uh, around climate change as well yeah and the next story and final story that we're, we're going to be discussing uh, is really the theme of the show and uh, we know we've spoken about climate change and and the infrastructure of public transport is absolutely critical to that. Uh, Rishi Sunak has confirmed the long-rumoured decision to scrap the northern leg of HS2, a decision branded wrong by former Prime Minister David Cameron, as well as Boris Johnson. Uh, reports uh, the planned high-speed rail line would end in, Ma in Birmingham rather than continuing up to Manchester have been circling for weeks, with sources telling Sky News on Monday the decision uh, had been made. It's not only Birmingham, which the question is whether the, the planned high-speed rail would end in Birmingham. We now don't even know if it's going to make it to Euston. What's your response to a U-turn of a massive infrastructure project from Rishi Sunak? 
I think there's a question of how relevant is HS2 still considering the shift in kind of to home flexible working since the pandemic. Um, but I'd also ask whether that consultation happened with leaders up in the north and people up in the north about, you know, whether or not this, this should go ahead before the decision was made uh, on kind of, you know, scrapping HS2 up in the north. Um, and I was um, watching a couple of, uh, you know, videos, video interviews um, from uh, Andy Burnham. Um, and kind of the sentiment from Mayors in the North at the minute, mm -hmm. mean, you know, kind of feels that London and the South get everything uh, when yeah. it comes to trans transport. Well, we've, other bits. we've got that. North doesn't get as much. We've got that clip from Andy Burnham. Let's listen to what Andy Burnham had to say in response to the scrapping of HS2. What has been announced today feels something more of the same. Yet, does this country have the will within it to actually prioritise the North of England and sort out its transport problems? Does this country have it within it to stop treating people here in the north as second-class citizens when it comes to transport and put them at the front of the queue rather than the back of the queue when it comes to investment. These are still open questions and they've not been answered by the Prime Minister today, but we will keep working as one Greater Manchester to make sure we get the right investment for the people here in our city region and across the north to ensure that we do what we can to turn this place into the powerhouse that we all know it can be in the future. There we can hear, I think, the, the, the absolute anger in, in Andy Burnham, um, the mayor of Manchester's voice. Um, and to support his position on the North sort of being in the back of the queue as it comes to investment, uh, Zara, uh, I'm going to end on this uh, before we go to a break, is th these are some just some of the stats as to the investment in the North. Um, if the North had received the same transport investment as London over the last decade, it would have received an additional £86 billion. If the North were a country, it would be second only to Greece for the lowest levels of investment in the OECD. Since 1995, the UK has been below the average of G7 and OECD peers on public investment. And the UK pays way over the odds for transport investment, which we're going to talk later about. Andy is absolutely right in his anger when it comes to the lack of investment in transport in the North, is he not? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, that the, these kind of train strikes as well, coupled with the infrastructure in the north that, you know, people might say is not fit for purpose, is, you know, kind of going to continue to cause disruption and, and going to cause stressful journeys. And, you know, we should be treating people in the north with the same respect um, that we treat people in the Midlands, you know, where I'm from or the south and making sure that people, you know, are having that infrastructure support up there. They also pay tax. They are valued members of this country as well. Um, I don't see why, you know, they can't have the same opportunities that we have, um, you know, in the South and in the Midlands. So yeah, I, think... I think that's, you know, really important. And that consultation is so key as well. Um, making decisions without speaking to people is probably, you know, not the best way to do things. Um, so having that consultation with the, the relevant people, I think, is really key as well. Um, and, you know, we do have a big uh, vote to 16 campaign at the minute where we're, you know, supporting the lowering of the voting age to 16. And I, I think actually all of these issues um, yeah. should be consulted on with young people we're, at we're, that age as well. We're just getting this in. Apparently, Sir Keir Starmer has ruled out reversing the decision made by the Prime Minister to cancel the remainder of HS2. So Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, has now come out and ruled out reversing this decision made by the Prime Minister. Uh, Zara, thank you so much for joining us uh, on The Week on Rap. That was Zara Khan, chair of the British Youth Council, uh, talking to us about this week's uh, news issues. We're going to stay on the topic uh, of HS2. Earlier today, I spoke to William Barter, HS2 expert and transport expert, around the details around what's happened uh, as it pertains to HS2, and he's going to join me after this. Fubar Radio presents The Dating 
show. So we have got the incredible Sunita. How does Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria? Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, <laughs> okay. That's always a good start. Always a good start. But when I'm an adult, not just like 18, you've got to be like not young enough to be my child. Um, <laughs> you have to ideally be London-based, because I am. Yeah. Although I don't mind if you've got a country pad, that would be nice. So at the minute we're going with age and location are important. Age and location are good. Every Friday from 6pm. FUBAR Radio. Okay, joining us now, we have William Barter, HS2 expert and rail expert uh, with many, many years' experience in the transport field. Uh, Mr. Barter, thank you so much for joining us. There are quite a lot of our listeners who will have heard about HS2 um, and seen the, the fallout from the Prime Minister's decision. But if you could, very briefly, can you give an introduction as to what HS2 was and what was the thinking behind its introduction way back, I think it was in 20, 2009 by a Labour government uh, before it was officially set off uh, around 2017? Yes, that's right. Um, HS2 set out to be a new railway from London to the north, bypassing major capacity constraints on the existing main line out of Euston, because that line was reckoned not to be able to meet all the market demands being made on it. So the plan was to start from Euston, uh, run a main line to join the existing railway near Litchfield with a branch into Birmingham. That is what is now called phase one. The plan was then to run extensions of that line, first from Crewe, or to Crewe, I should say, uh, then to Manchester, and to rejoin the existing line near Preston, so as to cater for services to Glasgow. There was also going to be a branch from Birmingham to Leeds and York, so that trains could run, in fact, as far as Newcastle. What the government has progressively done over two or three years, but most dramatically yesterday, is prune off those branches. And what Rishi Sunak's announcement yesterday leaves us with is essentially the phase one network to Birmingham, the West Midlands, and then potentially run on to Liverpool, Manchester and Glasgow on existing lines. But even that isn't so clear now because it's become apparent that his plan for the Euston station depends on private funding. And if private funding isn't forthcoming, the line will terminate at Old Oak Common, which is in West London in Zone 2 and connects with the Elizabeth line, but basically nothing else. It's therefore very limited in its commercial potential potential, and in its operational potential because it was never designed as a terminus. So the idea, I think, from, from a layman perspective, was to cut the time that it would take to travel across the UK, uh, thus helping connect London, which is where the wealth of most of uh, England is held, and connect that to Manchester and Leeds and Birmingham uh, and other spaces. This seems like that's now not going to go ahead. Um, the initial budget that was given in 2015 was 55.7 billion. The original budget was actually 32 billion, but it rose to 55.7 billion. 
Uh, the Oak Tree Review in 2020 found it could cost up to 106 billion. So far, it's reported that we've spent 92 billion, um, and we don't even know if it's going to go to Birmingham now. Can you give us a quick sort of idea as to why did the the, the price skyrocket so much? Well, first of all, we haven't spent 92 billion. Uh, my understanding is that the spend to date is about 20 billion. And you're quite right in saying that the first proper budget, as opposed to just a cost estimate, was about 55 billion. And by taking the cost mm. of phase one, which we know to be about 44 billion, and Sunak's alleged savings of 36 billion, you could work out that the current estimated price for the whole proposed network is about 80 billion. But that, is that I for the whole network saying, going up to if it was to go up to Manchester or just to Birmingham? Uh, Birmingham, Manchester, and a station in the East Midlands where it would then join existing lines. But I would say you mentioned the journey time savings. I think I'd say that the reason for building new infrastructure is capacity to run more trains to serve more markets. If you're building new infrastructure, reducing journey times by running at high speed is the opportunity that comes from building new infrastructure. I don't think you'd ever make a case for one or the other alone, but put them together and you're in business. And so as to why the costs have gone up so much, I don't think you can put your finger on any one issue. Um, it was always going to be expensive in the first place because we're a small crowded country and there are a lot of things to try and work your way around. Then, of course, there's almost what I'd say the normal reasons for costs going up. You start work and then find it's a bit more difficult than you thought. I mean, anyone who's ever had work done on a house will know that one. And other reasons, so I'm told, this is off my expertise, so I'll admit that, but I'm told that government procurement in letting the contracts tries to put almost all risk as to what happens to the line over its life on the contractor who built it. I mean, that's a bit like buying a car and asking for an extended warranty for everything forever. Yes, they're going to price that into their contracts. And then we've simply got general inflation, which of course is a problem but I don't think you can blame HS2 Limited for general inflation. No, but I think uh, you use the example of, of, of a cost of a house or any real capital infrastructure project. It you does usually rise and usually you try and factor that into your budgets. But from an original budget of $32.6 to the Oak Tree Review of $106 billion, that's a huge increase. Yes, but the $30 billion was never actually a budget. Uh, that was an initial cost estimate. Um, from that estimate, a budget of, I think, 43 billion was set, including contingency. And at the other end, the OCV could be up to, um, was actually very unlikely. That was could be up to if a lot of bad things happen and nobody manages it. So I don't think we were ever going to spend that much. So you could say that the budget has doubled over about 10 years, but general inflation is a 
big contribution to that. Mm -hmm. So Rishi Sunak has now scrapped it at, at his uh, Conservative Party conference keynote speech. Um, he spoke about um, the, the need to actually connect more than the North together rather than London to the North. What was your reaction to his, his decision to scrap the project and reinvest, I think, in the 30 to 40 billion pound mark into Northern projects? Initially, I think my reaction was, few. it could have been worse than that for HS2 um, had he not gone ahead with the Euston station. But of course, now the doubt is creeping in uh, as to the financing of Euston. With regard to the projects in the north, um, well, yes, uh, good news. But there's major gaps that HS2 would have addressed that the Network North plan doesn't. For instance, Manchester Piccadilly, the station and the station approaches are a massive capacity constraint. Leeds station, similarly, uh, and a major source of delay because it's being overused. And I don't think there's anything in the Network North plan that addresses those. And services from Manchester to Birmingham and Leeds to Birmingham are really quite deficient. They're crowded, they're slow, and they're infrequent. I mean, Birmingham to Leeds, for instance, two cities 115 miles apart, two million population each, and only one train an hour. I mean, that is a really poor service, which HS2 would have addressed, mm -hmm. but there appears to be nothing in the Network North plan that even considers that. And I think a lot of the complaints, I mean, we've heard Andy Burnham speak out, the, the, the Metro Mayor from Manchester, um, and, and the reports that we're seeing is that there is a serious underinvestment in transport links and transport infrastructure across the UK, but particularly in the north. Um, we've got a report here that says if the north had received the same transport investment as London over the last decade, it would have received £86 billion more. If the north were a country in and of itself... Um, and I'm not calling for people to start campaigning on this, but if it was a country in and of itself, it would be second only to Greece for the lowest levels of investment in the OECD. Since 1995, the UK has been below the average of the G7 and its OECD peers on public investment, and we pay way over the odds for transport investment, $790 million a kilometre versus the international average of $212 million. Why do we lack so far behind if we take London out of it with transport infrastructure in this country? I think because we have a project appraisal system that was designed for roads, doesn't really apply to railways and transformational infrastructure. And if you like reward success, if there's big volumes of business already, it forecasts big increases. And that really only applies in London. Now, I'm very keen on rail services in the north myself. I used to live in Leeds. I remember long, slow journeys across the Pennines. So I think there, you're right in what you say. I think there must be scope for investing more in the north, but we need to recognize more the strategic and economic benefits that come from investment, as well as just the pure financial. And that's not easy because these benefits aren't hard, uh, are hard to quantify, but that doesn't mean we should ignore them. As for why our infrastructure costs more than other countries, well, I'm sure it does because we're a small crowded country. 
But when people make those sorts of comparisons, they're normally comparing with quite simple point-to-point -point schemes in when other railway other countries build high-speed railways. Phase one of HS2 picks up some big cost items that distort the per mile cost. It's got four new stations, a new rolling stock depot, and a major complex of junctions near Birmingham. And all that pushes up, if you like, the average cost mm -hmm. per mile. So I think, although there's something in those comparisons, we do may need to be sure that they're fair comparisons, comparing like with like. And so, given that Rishi Sunak has now taken the decision to to to, to scrap the rest of the project, um, now there is a lot of hesitancy as to whether we're going to see the investment in the north, particularly given we've got a general election just around the corner, um, and we still don't know if it will extend to Euston um, and beyond or not. But I just want to ask your own personal opinion. What now that he has made this decision? What is the best case scenario? Um, for everybody involved, both those of us in the South and also um, those in the North? Well, I particularly regret the cancelling of Phase 2A. That's the West Midlands to Crewe section of HS2. We have parliamentary powers to build that. A lot of the land has been purchased and there may even be a spade in the ground somewhere on it. That's a section of line that is quite simple and straightforward, but adds a lot of value, uh, particularly for releasing capacity for freight and local passenger trains on the West Coast Main Line. So I'd strongly urge that that be reconsidered in particular. Mm. The railway must go to Euston, otherwise it has almost no benefit for anybody. Um, I would say if it stopped at Old Oak Common, we'd have 80% of the costs, but only get 20% of the benefits. So those are the two things I really would urge on him. So can I ask you, you've, you've mentioned how, especially phase 2A, in large parts we've bought the land and spades may even be in the ground. If it gets scrapped, what happens to that land and those, those works? Do they just stop? Uh, yes, and the idea seems to be to sell the land off again. And I call that a scorched earth policy, because not only is... Rishi Sunak stopping work, he's preventing any future government from restarting it if they make a different decision. Mm. Uh, and that in particular, I think, would be very foolish and very arrogant this close to a general election. Yeah, and I think I think that that, that would be my final question would be um, for Keir Starmer. There is, uh, I think the, the general consensus, or certainly around the political sphere and the media is that we are going to get a Labour government when that election does hit in 2024. As it pertains to this policy issue, what would your, what would your urge or suggestion be to Keir Starmer as to how to move forward? Uh, I think that's about phase 2A and Euston, assuming that Sunak hasn't made it impossible. Otherwise, you know, we have a section of railway half built between Old Oak Common and Birmingham. The worst of all worlds would be not to finish it, but it has quite restricted value compared with what relatively small extensions of that railway would then offer. Okay, thank you. That was William Barter, uh, a transport and HS2 expert, speaking to us about Rishi Sunak's most recent decision um, to scrap HS2 
uh, in its entirety. Um, now, there is still questions as to whether it's going to extend to Houston. Uh, but beyond that, Rishi Sunak has made the decision as announced in his conference speech. Uh, William, thank you so much for joining us. Coming up next, we've got Ryan Swift, researcher at IPPR North, where we're going to continue our discussions around HS2 transport and infrastructure around the UK. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Fubar Radio presents Access All Areas. We have the absolute icon, mm-hmm. legend, Janice Dickinson. I'm here. Do you still enjoy doing reality shows or do you now see it as more of like a part of your job that you like have to do? I do. I do really enjoy it. I, do, I don't enjoy the actuality of eating fish eyeballs. <laughs> well, yeah. There's that side to Amazon. Or vagina of cow. Yeah. But you do like the sort of social I, side, do you? Like just the... The mm. social side was fantastic. Just getting to know people mm. and uh, sleeping with people and eating with people when we didn't really have enough food. Access all areas. Every Wednesday. FUBAR Radio. Right, welcome back. This is Ali Maloney on Politics Uncensored at FUBAR Radio. We've been talking about the Prime Minister's decision to scrap the northern leg of HS2. Um, and as William correctly pointed out, uh, we have spent £24.7 billion so far. Uh, and it was supposed to reduce uh, the time connecting the north and the south uh, quite drastically. Um, the London to Brighton route was supposedly supposed to be reduced by 30 minutes. Uh, and that hasn't happened yet. We don't even know if it's going to go to 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 Birmingham. We don't even know if it's going to go to Houston. Uh, but just to give everybody a quick update, an overview as to HS2 uh, and where we are. It was originally introduced High Speed Rail 2 by the Labour Party in 2009. The original budget was around £32.6 billion. Pounds. It was it was budgeted for in november 2015 hs2 was given a budget of 55.7 billion pounds and given the green light for work to begin in 2017 now since 2017 work has taken place if any of you had walked past euston station you will have seen the massive hs2 signs the building of infrastructure as william mentioned train stations being given more capacity to deal uh, with high speed rail 2 connecting London to Birmingham and Manchester and Leeds uh, and the North. Um, An Oak Tree review in 2020, however, found that it could cost up to £106 billion. Uh, And since then, we have spent, since 2017 when work began, we've spent £24.7 billion. But this week, at the final, what we suspect is the final Conservative Party conference until we hit a general election, election, Rishi Sunak announced that he had taken the decision to scrap the northern leg. I am ending this long-running saga. I am cancelling the rest of the HS2 project. And in its place, and in its place, we will, in, we will reinvest every single penny, £36 billion in hundreds of new transport projects in the North and the Midlands across the country. This means £36 billion of investment in the projects that will make a real difference across our nation. Now, first of all, big shout-outs to that guy halfway through that was singular, hey, in support uh, of, of Rishi Sunak. Uh, but there you have Rishi Sunak announcing uh, the, the scrapping of the northern leg of HS2 
um and he he his justification his explanation his carrot if you will was that he was going to reinvest every penny of the 36 billion left um to connecting the north uh in its infrastructure and its transport i wouldn't hold i wouldn't suggest anyone hold their breath waiting for that money to actually be spent um and uh these projects to actually take off now we have ryan swift joining us researcher at the institute for public policy research uh in the north uh ryan thank you so much for for joining us i think he's just um joining us uh via zoom ryan can you hear me okay ah yeah thank you so much ryan that's ryan researcher at ippr north we've just been talking about uh the decision by the prime minister to scrap the northern leg of hs2 can you give us your initial reactions to this announcement yes uh kim um very disappointing we thought hs2 i mean is the backbone to um leveling up and regionally rebalancing the country so but the but they um played fast and loose for weeks speculating about whether it'd be retained or whether the northern leg would be cancelled then we finally discovered yesterday that it was cancelled um it's really a betrayal of the north and undermines undermines um, the leveling up agenda i think w what we've spoken about already a couple of times today is that the research shows that if the north was to get the same um level of investment as london in its transport infrastructure uh transport and infrastructure it would have received an extra 86 billion pounds that hasn't been spent in the north that has been spent uh in london if the north was itself a country and ryan don't start campaigning for independence or secession <laughs> of the north but if it was its own country it would be second lowest in the oecd for for spend only behind greece Andy Burnham has been pretty scathing today in his anger at the betrayal of the North. This is just one of hundreds of examples of a betrayal of the North in favour of all the money of the country being injected into the South, is it not? Yeah, exa exactly. All of the figures that we've um, we've produced about the kind of underinvestment in the North that's been a problem for decades, for generations, really. And again, we're seeing that with um, with this debate over HS2. So the Prime Minister yesterday pledged to spend the 36 billion um, savings from HS2 and to reinvest that in the North. But looking at the plans, we discover that um, actually a significant amount of that money is going elsewhere in the country, including over 2 billion to fix potholes in the South of England. So again, the North's been shortchanged. It's losing out on investment that has been long promised. And really it's just, um, as I say, it's, um, undermining the credibility of a government who was elected on the promise of leveling up and how much how much faith do you have i mean you've already spoken about some of the plans seem to be going to the south but let's say this 36 billion pound that's been announced um to for, for further investment in infrastructure or transport infrastructure in the north do you have any hope or any faith that that will actually happen given how many promises have been broken well some of the investments that have been pledged are positive and we'd welcome them for instance um a tram in Leeds, um, a new station in Bradford connecting Liverpool and Manchester with high speed. But as you say, all this chopping and changing on investment in the north, especially when it comes to infrastructure, really does undermine any confidence that um, these projects will be delivered um, in a timely manner. I mean, we've already seen today, it appears that the government's rowing back on one of the promises, which was to build a new line in Leamside line in the northeast of England. And it seems to be rowing back on that already. So again, that's undermining confidence both in its plans and undermining confidence amongst people in the north that the government's actually going to get on and deliver any of these 
infrastructure investments that have long been promised and and, if, and if we appeared. if we had Rishi Sunak in the studio today what would you say to him to to to, to convey the strength of feeling on the betrayal that's felt in the north and obviously we're talking about hs2 today but it's not just hs2 the, the level of investment and we all remember that election campaign in 2019 and this these promises of huge leveling up of the north which just haven't happened what would you say to him to convey that strength of feeling yes i think people across the north just feel let down really um lots of people in the north voted in 2019 for the first time for this government and there was a real expectation and excitement that that some of these promises would be delivered on. So, I mean, there's still potential the government could deliver these new lines that it's promised it could look to improve um, on these plans and deliver Northern Powerhouse Rail in full. But as I say, there's a lack of confidence at the moment um, and a lack of credibility in some of these plans. Yeah, well, we've just had this come in as well. So Keir Starmer has ruled out reversing the decision made by the Prime Minister to cancel the remainder of HS2. Speaking to ITV Granada reports, the Labour leader said, can I stand here now and say that we would reverse the decision the Prime Minister took yesterday? No, we can't. They've taken a wrecking ball to this project. What's your response to Keir Starmer refusing to rule out the reversal of this decision, given that in all likelihood, if the polls are right, he's going to be the next Prime Minister in 2024? Oh, I think we've I think we've lost Ryan there. We're going to try and get back to Ryan if we can. Uh, just to reiterate that point, we've had this live breaking in as we've been on the air. So Sakir Starmer has ruled out reversing the decision. Uh, so we've got Ryan back uh, again. Sorry about those technical Sorry difficulties, Ryan. I was just saying the new report we've had is that Sakir Starmer has ruled out reversing the decision made by the Prime Minister to cancel the remainder of HS2. He has said, speaking to ITV, can I stand here now and say that we would reverse the decision the Prime Minister took yesterday? No, we can't. What's your response to that? Yeah, well, I think the, I mean, the decision taken yesterday really does um, make it difficult to um, reinstate HS2, but I think what we call for is that at least the safeguarding that's in place on the northern leg of HS2 must stay in place. The bill must carry on going through Parliament so that I think in the future, hopefully, hopefully it can be built. I mean, we're, we're strongly calling for Northern Powerhouse Rail to be built in full. So that's the connection from Liverpool across to Hull, connecting the east and west of the north. I think for people in the north, that's the key priority. But mm -hmm. we would like to see that eventually joined up with HS2. Um, I mean, the north shouldn't be running on Victorian infrastructure whilst um, the southern part of the country enjoys modern high-speed trains so that's still the long-term priority yeah, think, regardless of who's in government right i think we should talk about that a little bit because uh, quite a lot of our listeners in london are in london and won't know exactly the kind of infrastructure that exists or the lack of infrastructure that might exist in some of these uh, and we're not talking small towns manchester leeds you know big cities that don't have yeah. anywhere near the infrastructure that london has do you want to talk about that a little bit and enlighten them on the lack of investment and the lack of infrastructure that exists in major, major cities in the north. Yeah, so as, as you mentioned earlier, the north's long been underinvested in. As I say, we would have got £86 billion more in the last 10 years if we'd have got the same investment in London. So that goes somewhere to highlighting kind of the lack of, um, lack of modern facilities that some of these places have. So Manchester's actually one of the fastest growing cities in Europe over the last few years, and yet still we see massive problems that... Manchester Piccadilly, lack of connections um, to the airport. And then on the West Coast mainline, it's already running at capacity. HS2 was meant to solve some of those problems there and take some of the long high-speed distance trains 
off the West Coast main line and now that's not going to happen. And the cross-Pennine connections between kind of Manchester and Sheffield, Manchester, Leeds, Manchester and Huddersfield are also lacking and severely in need of an upgrade. And then going out from Leeds towards Hull and up to the northeast in particular, lots more um, infrastructure and investments needed there, especially on local lines. And as I said today, one of the proposals in the new network north plan was to reopen a new line in the northeast and already the government's rode back on that. So these are the kind of projects that people in the north want to see. And the north rail shouldn't have to choose between high-speed rail and improved local services. Other parts of the country don't have to make them choices. Yesterday, the Prime Minister kind of pitted off high-speed rail against these local offers. What the north needs is the normal powerhouse rail, but it does need local infrastructure improvement, including buses and roads, as well as rail, but also we deserve the same kind of modern high-speed infrastructure in other parts of the country. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. We're just starting to lose you again, so I just want to say a big thank you to Ryan Swift, researcher at IPP our North, uh, speaking about the disappointment in Rishi Sunak's decision to scrap uh, the northern leg of High Speed Rail 2. I just want to, us to once again listen to Andy Burnham's response to this. He's the mayor of Manchester and you can hear the anger in Andy's voice. What has been announced today feels something more of the same. Yet, does this country have the will within it to actually prioritise the north of England and sort out its transport problems? Does this country have it within it to stop treating people here in the north as second-class citizens when it comes to transport and put them at the front of the queue rather than the back of the queue when it comes to investment? These are still open questions and they've not been answered by the Prime Minister today, but we will keep working as one Greater Manchester to make sure we get the right investment for the people here in our city region and across the north to ensure that we do what we can to turn this place into the powerhouse that we all know it can be in the future. And here you hear the, there you hear the anger in Andy Burnham's voice. But of course, it's not just the North that should be angry. We've spoken about the amount of the public purse that's been spent on HS2. So we're going to do something very quickly and talk about the actual investment that's been made to a high-speed rail project that we don't even know if it's going to hit Euston. So HS2 had an original budget of 32.6 billion. That was increased to 55.7 billion in November 2015 as when work began. We have spent 24.7 billion pounds so far on HS2 and we still don't know whether it's going to go to Houston, let alone to Birmingham or Manchester or to Leeds. So for that 24.7 billion pounds, here are just some of the things that Rishi Sunak, Boris Johnson and the Conservatives could have done. We could have trained 197,766 doctors. We could have hired 667,568 nurses. 25% of all student loans could have been cancelled. That includes for folks like me. 2.9 million homes could have been insulated for 24.7 billion pounds. Every single person in this country could have received 800 pounds off their energy bill as a discount for 24.7 billion, according to the government's own figures. 2.2 million Netflix subscriptions, folks. 2.2 Netflix subscriptions for you to to watch uh, wonderful shows like Beckham, a new, new documentary about David Beckham, who I've, which I've been watching recently. And we could have built 164,666 three-bed homes across the country we could have built on, on the average price. Doctors trained, nurses hired, 
student loans cancelled, homes insulated, energy bill discounts, homes built, and Netflix subscriptions for those the woke folk that, that Suala Braverman is obsessed by. But instead we have a rail infrastructure program that has dramatically failed. A conservative prime minister has now had to scrap uh, and where we don't even know whether it's going to reach London, Euston when its plans were in Manchester and in Leeds. And as William Barter earlier told us, that would be something like 80% cost versus 20% of the benefit. But you've heard from Ryan, you've heard from Zara, you've heard from William, and you've obviously heard from me. But now we go to my favorite part of the show. Um, regular listeners will know. I love listening to real people. And our wonderful producers went out onto the streets of Islington to find out what people really think. And our question this week was, was Sunak right to scrap the northern leg of HS2? As somebody from Birmingham, I do feel really disappointed. I feel like the north and south divide is very clear, and if it had started in the north, they'd never have cancelled it in the south. Yeah, I'm not surprised, but I'm just really disappointed. There's way better ways this money could have been spent, and they're just not getting anything now. They've been lied to yet again by this government. I think there's good enough connections as they are. What the problem is for me is the cost of train tickets but I don't live in the north. I think it's a terrible mistake. If um, he had explained that he were cancelling it due to saving money, then the general public would understand. But to cancel it with the feeble excuse of saying people's working practices have changed due to COVID just smacks to me of the 350 million on the bus that people fell for at Brexit. It's an absolute joke, mate. The Celtic Republic's input into the United Kingdom means nothing. Nothing. Yet again, Wales is fucking cast out. We've put loads of money into this. We don't have a single north to south rail line in Wales. Honestly, I am outraged. I'm voting independence for Wales, and this will be a big part of the campaign for that. I can guarantee that now. Jesus, that guy was very passionate. And that, uh, my producers are telling me, and that was edited a version of his incandescent anger. Um, if you think the North are pissed, you better get get on a train to Wales. It sounds like they're fuming um, in Wales. But there you hear, it's interesting. Even people in the in London, in Islington, seem to see how the North has been has been completely undermined here, and promises have not been kept, and money has been has been blown on a project that is completely a failure. And now we've got independence of Wales projects. But please, God, not not another referendum. Um, being run on the back of it. And I think the anger that you hear from Andy Burnham that you've heard in Ryan's voice and you heard uh, in that Vox Pop uh, edited heavily by our producers of our Celtic Republic backing friend is that Rishi Sunak has done the remarkable political job of pissing everybody off at the same time. And I think he's likely to see some, some, some political fallout after this because... Conservative party conferences, all party conferences, are supposed to be the big keynote speech that gives you a bit of a bump in the polls. If you if you pay attention to American politics, usually their conference speeches uh, give them a two, three point bump in the polls because it's your chance to really set out your stall of what your vision is ahead of the next general election, what you want to do with power. And instead, as has been the modus operandi of this conservative government, is to implode... Uh, you on one side, you've got Suella Braverman calling migration a hurricane into this country in really outrageous language. Um, 
And on the other end, you've got Nigel Farage walking around conference like a headless chicken saying, I'm not going to join the Conservative Party, but I'm here and I'm going to every fringe. And then you've got the Prime Minister, rather than setting out his stall of what makes him different, uh, why he should be given a mandate, which, by the way, he does not have. He didn't even get voted in by the Conservative Party. The entire conversation has been around £24.7 billion spent, and we can't even get to Euston, let alone to Birmingham, to Leeds, to Manchester. And this is the ship that the Conservative government are going to go down in. I think this encapsulates the last 13 years of Conservative government and the reason why all the polls suggest Sir Keir Starmer is going to be the next Prime Minister. Now, I'm sure there'll be lots of folk in the North who are disappointed with Sir Keir Starmer's approach today, having ruled out reversing this decision made by the Prime Minister. He said, can I stand here now and say that we would reverse the decision the Prime Minister took yesterday? No, we can't. They've taken a wrecking ball to this project. Now, William Barter kind of spoke about this earlier as to whether the sort of skirt, scorched earth policy would mean that Labour are unable to reverse this decision. But as it stands, everyone's pissed off. No one's happy. Uh, the North continue to get shafted. Uh, and we find ourselves with £24.7 billion spent on a project that has been an utter failure. Now, I don't want to leave you on a downer because I've got to take the train up to Liverpool. Um, not a high-speed train, a pretty low-speed train, and pay through the nose to stay in Liverpool for Labour Party conference, where we're likely to hear Sir Keir Starmer's final pitch at conference stage before the general election. Um, and we're hoping to get a little bit more content, I think, uh, from Sir Keir Starmer. So make sure you tune in next week because you're going to be hearing um, the fallout of Labour Party conference, uh, now I spoke about factions in the Conservative Party. You bet your butt that there are plenty of factions that are going up to Liverpool um, this week. Funnily enough, Conservative Party conference was in Manchester um, as well. So I don't know how they got all those Tories out of Manchester, but they got them out there safe. Um, but you'll be hearing all the fallout from the Labour Party conference. I'll be speaking to people at Labour Party conference that will be that will be going on live on Fubar Radio next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening in. I want to thank our guests this week, William Barter, HS2 expert, Ryan Swift, researcher at IPPR North, Zara Khan, chair of the British Youth Council, and that wonderful person in the Vox Pop whose name I don't have, representing the Celtic Republic um, and Welsh independence. Uh, you can follow our show and listen to all our previous episodes on podcast form, so whether that's on the Apple Store or Android or whatever Google phone that you might have, you can you can listen back to all of our amazing episodes we've done. We've had some really, really good guests. Last week we had John McDonnell on, we'd have Lord Heseltine on, uh, Clive Lewis, uh, Dawn Butler MP. We've had so many amazing guests on, so go back and listen to those. You can follow the show at Politics Fubar on Instagram uh, and Politics Fubar on Twitter slash X or whatever Elon wants to call it this week. I am Ali Milani, I am on Twitter twitter on instagram and on tiktok and you can follow the show there i hope to see you all next week from liverpool or hear you all next week from liverpool as we look to the fallout of the final conference keir starmer has before the country goes to the polls in 2024 for what will be a landmark general election uh listening next week i hope to see you all there salams <laughs>